There's a lost soul who's tired of the sinning. You are listening to the Daily Doctrine Devotional. This is a daily podcast designed to teach and preach Bible doctrine each weekday throughout the year. This is Evangelist Tim McVeigh asking you to please let others know about this podcast so that they can subscribe or tune in each weekday. At the end of the podcast, we will provide you with subscription information as well as contact information for our ministry. Thank you for listening, and we pray that the Lord will help each of us as we study and preach the Word of God. And the saints all with gladness are singing the glorious song of the redeemed, song of the redeemed. We want to thank you once again for tuning to our Wednesday edition of the podcast, how we rejoice in what the Lord has done for us this day. And it's been a good day. I had the privilege to go to Gettysburg with the Maury family, but Dale Maury is a frequent visitor here on the podcast. And so we certainly thank the Lord for that opportunity, that privilege. And I know the one thing is when you go to Gettysburg, it certainly will make you reflect. And it's interesting, I came back and was looking at uh, Job 22 again today. And the response of Eli has the Temanite, and I realize a lot of what he speaks of are things I think about in Gettysburg. Think about those men that walked that hallowed ground. I had the privilege in my life to walk World War II battlefields, uh, to walk Ford's Island, to walk through all around Pearl Harbor. Had the privilege to be in Okinawa. Had the privilege to be in many, many Civil War battlefields, the whole way from Louisiana up into uh, Pennsylvania, of course, Gettysburg today, and revolutionary battlefields. And the one thing I continually think of, I think of those men. We call them heroes. They laid down their life. They sacrificed their life for a cause. Uh, whether or not they agreed with the cause. They were soldiers. They did what they were told to do. And so many of them died and went to hell. And what an awful thing. Remember many years ago, standing a flagpole down in Southern Virginia, and that they wanted me to preach a Memorial Day service, and I had the privilege to stand at the flagpole in the Veterans Cemetery and give about a 10-minute exhortation. And, of course, the VFW guys staggered in, bloodshot eyes, and the honor guard stood there wobbling on drunken legs. And they held their their flags for the honor guard, and then there were other, of course, American Legion and other uh, other veterans from the VFW. And I felt impressed the Lord to touch on those things. It was very gentle, as kind as I could be, knowing those men probably had lost friends, and uh, very well could be that some of them were in combat and lost friends. But I just touched on those very things, the matter that those men died without Christ, still went to hell. No matter how great a hero they were, if a man runs into a house and saves children's lives, he still dies without Christ. He's a hero to us, but he dies and his life is absolutely null and void in Jesus Christ. He perishes, he goes to hell, and my friend, he'll burn forever in the torment and the awfulness of hell. And yet he's a hero. And one of the most sad estates of anything you'll ever see is not just the war hero that dies. And there are many at Gettysburg. We walked around today different places, and we saw where Lou Almostead fell and where General Hancock fell and General Weed fell. Also, normally we go by where General Reynolds fell. We couldn't get up on the hill where uh, General Strong Vincent fell. Um, but so many places where those great generals, uh, brigadier generals, major generals, very high-ranking men, and there they were wounded at Gettysburg. Many of them perished at, at Gettysburg. Of course, John Hood also was wounded there at Gettysburg. And you look at those places and look at those sites, and you realize there are people that we know and love. They've never been heroes. They've never done a lot. They just lived a normal life. We attend church with them. We go to the house of God with them. And yet they're going to perish one day. They're going to burn in the awfulness of hell for all of eternity because of their rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Brother Dale Morey had preached two days ago for us on our back porch. Had about 35 folks come for that. And uh, he preached the gospel and he preached truth. And there were those that rejected that truth. It's interesting that people tell me they're seeking God, but they don't listen to the podcast. They don't go to special services. They don't do anything outside the norm. Uh, just their regular nine to five church offerings and church opportunities and just their normal life. They won't go beyond those boundaries. And then some of them that do go beyond those boundaries find themselves troubled. And Brother Morey was great troubling to some people. Uh, what he said was very troubling to some. And he dealt with that matter of this profession of faith without salvation. And so again, people are perishing. Eliphaz is touching that in this very scripture. In verse 15, hast thou marked the old way which wicked men have trodden? And then in verse 16, he tells us of those wicked, which were cut down out of time, whose foundation was overflown with a flood. Now, it's interesting that their foundation was overflown with a flood. So we're looking at something here unique, something special God has done. I'm not going to touch on that right now. Uh, but he goes on, he says in verse 17, which said unto God, depart from us, and what can the Almighty do for them? That's the wicked. Depart from us. I don't want to hear from you. Again, we sat last night. There were folks, I'm afraid, shook off the conviction, shook off the truth, shook off the opportunity of hearing the gospel, believing the gospel, and coming to the realization that they themselves are lost without Christ. They see themselves through rose-colored glasses. They see themselves in their own eyes, not God's eyes, and their ways are set before them, and it takes God to break them of their ways. That's why the Lord tries the heart, and he searches that heart and tries that heart. But then he said this, he tries the reins. Why? Because that's the control. That's the direction you're headed. There are people whose paths are absolutely just in turmoil and torment. There are those covetous, those that money means everything to them. It's somewhat what he's dealing with here. That love of money is still the root of all evil. Why is that? Because money puffs up. Money causes pride. There are those that cannot comprehend living without money. I've been in churches and uh, the word on the street is that they're a money church. What does that mean? There's folks that make a lot of money. Nobody's going to come in there and tell them that they're not right with God. Nobody's going to come in there. Therefore, the evangelist that comes in must be for sale because he's not going to stand and tell them the truth. But the reality of it is, is they need Jesus Christ. That love of money has blinded their eyes. And is every rich man lost? No, they're not. But what happens is that love of money is the root of all evil. Can you be rich and not love money? You probably can, but you'll give a lot of it away. I believe that you'll disseminate it amongst others. You won't have that that critical idea that, you know, oh, everybody's trying to take my money. And it's amazing how poor people give their money away and rich people hoard their money. Uh, the rich get rich and the poor get poor. How do poor people give their money away? Well, they go down, they put it in the instant lottery machines down at the convenience store. They go down, they buy the lotto tickets. And then save folk that are poor. By the way, they'll just give their money to the house of God. Thank God for that. Some of the, the richest churches I go in are probably some of the poorest churches I go in. But the, the poverty does not negate the spiritual riches. And there are those in Jesus Christ. There are those that are walking in Christ. Those that have great riches beyond what this world can understand. And he goes on, he says, yet he filled their houses with good things in verse 18. So they told God to depart. What can the Almighty do for them? They've told him to get out of my life, get away from me. It's no different than that. That really is Romans chapter one, no doubt what he's speaking of here. Yet he filled their house with good things, but the counsel of the wicked is far from me. The righteous see it and are glad. By the way, verse 18 is that word, the wicked again. The counsel of the wicked is far from me. That wicked, we've seen him all through these passages. The righteous see it and are glad. The innocent laugh them to scorn. 
whereas our substance is not cut down, but the remnant of them, the fire consumeth. And then he says in verse 21, acquaint now thyself with him and be at peace. Thereby good shall come unto thee. Now, I believe he's speaking of the righteous there, but what he's having is understanding. Again, they're blaming Job, but at the same time, they're also contending with the prophecies of Job. And they're blaming Job for his calamity. They're saying God doesn't do this to the righteous man. God doesn't do this to that man that he's prospered. Yet some of the people that God has prospered greatly in this world have absolutely defied the true and living God. And not all prosperity is of God. And that's what you can't get people to understand. They think that gain is godliness. He said from them, such turn away. They think that gain is God. They think they have what they have because of godly living. And what they cannot see is they sold their soul for much of that gain, for much of that profit, for much of those riches. They've sold out on God. They've sold out on Sunday nights. They've sold out on Wednesday nights. They've sold out on attending the house of God. But even far more than that, they sold out on godly living a long time ago. They made up their mind. They're going to make the compromise needed. They needed to have gain. They needed to have wealth. They needed to have riches. They needed to have substance. And they made that decision a long time ago. And if God does not awaken them, most of those people are going to die in their iniquity. And they're going to die lost without Christ and die and they're going to go to hell. He said, therefore, the good shall come unto thee. And then verse 22, he says, receive, I pray thee, the law from his mouth and lay up his words in thine heart. He's talking about the righteous man there. And yet Job has done that. And Job did not speak evil. Job did not speak against God. Job did not blaspheme God. He did not curse God, as his wife said to do. He retained his integrity. And in verse 23, he accuses Job of thou return to the Almighty. He accuses him of being away from God. You're in this calamity, but there's so many like that. They see somebody that struggles in poverty. They must not be right with God. I know a man. It's a man of God. And I mean a man of God. A man with excellence of character, a man that denotes godliness, full of the Holy Ghost, one of the finest Christians I know. And he lives in poverty. And you try to help him be a blessing to him. He just takes the money you give and he gives it away. Part of the reason he's in poverty is because he takes care of his wife. It's very sickly. And he has to buy her medication every single day. And it takes great expense out of his life. And he lives in poverty. And most look at that, and they look at that with disdain, and they look at that with awfulness. And he'll wear a suit that doesn't fit, and a shirt that doesn't fit, and shoes that have holes in them, and his cars are hardly run. And people look at that disdainfully and look down their nose at that, not lift one finger to help, and they'll say, well, certainly this must be God doing this to this man. This must be. No, some people just make a choice to live that way. They make a choice to live in poverty. They make a choice to live where they can barely scrape by. And trust the goodness of God, they give that others might have. That's God's way. That's always been God's way. He said, then shall they lay up gold as dust and the gold of Ophir as the stones of the brooks. He's missing here that if God does prosper Job, it's not just in his riches. It's not just in the gain of gold and the gain of of, of monetary substance that we would speak of today. No, he's speaking lack of a spiritual gain. Why does Job need those things if he has God? As Job is there lamenting his condition, lamenting those things, prophesying of Jesus Christ, yet he's not sinned, and he comes before a holy God, and he prays, and God receives him, but these men can't see that. Why can't they see that? Because they themselves have their eyes closed. They're blinded to the things of God. Obviously, they cannot see spiritual. That's why they're contending with Jesus Christ here. Yea, the Almighty shall be thy defense, and thou shalt have plenty of silver. That's not what Job needs. 
Well, yeah, when a man's down and out, when a man's sick, when a man's scraping himself with sore, the sores on his body with a pot shirt, his family's dead, his flocks are gone, his servants have perished. He doesn't need gold and silver. How foolish. What a fool. That's why he said from such turn away. They believe that gain is godliness. If you just had a little bit more, if you just had a little bit better, if you just had a little bit bigger, if you had a little bit faster, if you had a little bit stronger, gold and silver are no profit in the day of calamity. Your gold cannot buy you rest in the day of calamity. Silver cannot buy you rest. Job's not looking for gold and silver. In verse 26, for then shall thou have thy delight in the Almighty and shall lift up thy face unto God. So again, he's equating here godliness to gain. And that's not at all what the scripture speaks of because gain is not godliness. There's some that suppose that it is, but it's not godliness. Part of the problem with that man of sin, Ezekiel 28, 4, he said, with thy wisdom, with thy understanding, thou hast gotten thee riches and hast gotten gold and silver into thy treasures. That's what he's speaking of here. By thy great wisdom and by thy traffic, hast thou increased thy riches? But then he said this, and thine heart is lifted up because of thy riches, because thou saith the Lord God, because thou hast set thine heart as the heart of God, behold, therefore I will bring strangers upon thee. That man of sin, when he comes, is his riches that have lifted him up. What's the downfall of Lucifer? His riches, his beauty, his gain, all the worldly things and carnal things and Things that ought not be lifted up with pride fell in the con. By the way, that's why a novice falls in the condemnation of the devil, because he's lifted up with pride. He thinks it's him. He thinks he's doing it. He sees a work of God, and he, that's why so many young men fall out of ministry, why so many young men go into sin. They're lifted up with pride. They think they're the ones doing this. They think they're the ones prospering. They look at you know a young man. He has a good position as a pastor has a good position as an evangelist. He's making good money, maybe has good support, and he's prospering. He, he says, man, this is because of me. This is because of my work. This is because of my labor. He gets lifted up, and he falls in the condemnation of the devil. That's why so many fall into sin. That's why God will send some Jezebel along and absolutely knock them off their throne. And so many men have fallen into sin because they've been lifted up. Their hearts are lifted up. In verse 27, thou shalt make thy prayer unto him, and he shall hear thee, and thou shalt pay thy vows. Thou shalt also decree a thing, and it shall be established unto thee, and the light shall shine upon thy ways. When men are cast down, then thou shalt say, there is lifting up, and he shall save the humble person. Then in verse 30, our last verse of this text, he shall deliver the island of the innocent, and is delivered by the pureness of thine hands. And that's one of those things we've talked about that on this podcast numerous times. I preached it last week. God delivered Jesus Christ. He brought out Jesus Christ by his own righteousness and by the cleanness of his hands. Therefore, Job, this cannot be Job he's contending with here or speaking with, contending against here, because Job can't be by, delivered by the pureness of his hands, but Jesus Christ was. And so again, we see that contention, that back and forth. We're going to see tomorrow, Lord willing, we're going to see a messianic psalm in Job 23. Absolutely, there's no doubt in my mind, it is the person of Jesus Christ. So have a great day. There's a lost soul who's tired of the sinning, and he longs to return to the Lord. As he cries for forgiveness and mercy.
You have been listening to the Daily Doctrine Podcast with Evangelist Tim McVeigh. For correspondence, please contact us through our website and someevangelists.com and use the contact form to connect with us. You may also subscribe to the podcast through our website or search for Daily Doctrine Evangelist Tim McVeigh on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, or Amazon. To write to us, please use our church address, which is Manasseh Community Baptist Church, 70 Back Hollow Road, Blaine, Pennsylvania, 17006. Thank you for listening, and we pray that the Lord will help each of us as we study and preach the Word of God. Don't forget to subscribe and tune in tomorrow. And remember to look up for your redemption draweth nigh. Now the angels of God are rejoicing, for the prodigal child has come home, and the saints all with gladness are singing the glorious song of the redeemed.